Today, we are in this Lenten sermon series where we're remembering our sinfulness, repenting of our sinfulness, and longing for the resurrection of Christ. We're longing for Resurrection Sunday. And so we're in this season of waiting and anticipating, and so we thought it fitting to work our way through the book of Genesis and to see how God had been anticipating for all of redemption history saving us in Jesus Christ, that he had always held out this gospel of grace that came to fruition when Jesus came among us. And so we see these stories, these foreshadowings, these types, these images that point us to that salvation. And today we're getting to Abraham and Isaac, the binding of Isaac, a really famous story. And we're going to see in this story how God invites us in to a deeply intimate covenant with himself, a covenant that demands everything from us, where we can withhold nothing from him. And we're also assured that he gives us infinitely more than we give to him. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Genesis chapter 22. We'll begin in the first verse, and we're going to see three things in our text today. First, God in his infinite freedom and sovereignty demands that we withhold nothing from him, that we give him complete faithfulness, complete obedience. We give our whole selves to him. Secondly, God in his infinite generosity provides everything he requires of us. He is our provider. And finally, God in his infinite love doesn't withhold himself from us, but gives himself to us freely. So turn at Genesis 22, verse 1 with me. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Genesis 22 is a troubling passage. Not just because it can be challenging to interpret, but because of the content, what we just read. We come across something here that is too much to bear. A pill, it's too big to swallow. God asks the unthinkable from Abraham. Offer your son to me as a sacrifice. It seemingly goes against God's own character. It, it confuses us. It confounds us. It disturbs us when we take this passage seriously. What is going on here? And we see that God in his infinite freedom demands everything from us, that we withhold nothing. In this passage, we see how serious faith in God really is. In this passage, we see that God is God and there is none other. He will have no equals. He will have you put no God next to him. He will be your all. 
That is his demand. And Luther and Calvin, both in their commentaries on this passage, are equally as disturbed. They say there's a seeming contradiction here between God's character and what he asks, between God's promise and God's commandment. How could this be? What is going on? And, and the only place they can come to is that God, in his infinite wisdom and power and sovereignty, is inscrutable. We can't know what his plan is, but we must trust him. It's what Abraham does. And I just want to dissect two pieces of what's going on in the, the front end of our text here. First, God tests Abraham. It says plainly in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. What is that about? And then specifically, why this test? Why Isaac? So first, the concept that God tests us. Many of us are deeply uncomfortable with this idea that God tests us. He tries us. He puts us in, in painful, difficult, trying circumstances. But it's what the Bible teaches us. No more plainly than in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Peter talks about the salvation we have, the inheritance we have in Christ, and then says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, who knows a thing or two about failing a test, tells us clearly, God does test us. He tries us. He puts us through difficulties, even grievously so, for the purification of our faith, like gold being purified in fire, to grow us, to transform us, to draw a genuineness out of our faith that wasn't there before. I had the opportunity uh, this past month to visit Ambleside School of Colorado. We've got Andrew Hayes, the principal there, worships here, and some teachers and some administrators at Trinity at Ambleside. But something that had always escaped me that I hadn't noticed before or hadn't been made aware to me before was that Ambleside doesn't give grades to their students. And so that means fundamentally, testing at Ambleside is not a pass-fail ordeal. It's not meant to uh, either give you a reason for boasting or a reason for shame. It's not meant to give you an opportunity to compare yourself to others. It is, it is not an opportunity for you to say whether you are good enough or not. The whole purpose is your growth. And that is God's testing. God's testing is not meant to be a bar by which you know whether you are pleasing or displeasing to God. God's testing is not meant to be an opportunity for you to boast or to be ashamed. God's testing is not an opportunity for us to compare ourselves to other Christians. Hey, it seems like Brian has a much easier test than I've got, God. No, the test is for our growth, for our transformation, for the purifying of our love to God. And this fits in nicely with the, the primary illustration I'm making about our relationship with God this morning, that God wants an exclusive covenant relationship with you. In an exclusive covenant relationship, there is an intolerance of other relationships, an intolerance of faithlessness, of, of turning to someone else, turning to another. They demand allegiance. They demand that we give ourselves completely. That's what marriage is for at its best, that we would be completely given to another. One flesh union. One commentator says of God's testing, 
Testing is unnecessary in religions of tolerance. The testing times for Israel and for all of us who are heirs of Abraham are those times when it is seductively attractive to find an easier, less demanding alternative to God. God wants to draw out our love for him more deeply. That's why he tests us. But why this test? I think most of us can, can understand God tests us to, to grow us, to transform us, to purify us. But this one seems too far, doesn't it? Why Isaac? Every parent in this room could tell you how infinitely precious their children are to them. Every parent in this room could tell you they would lay down their life for their children. And Abraham was no different. But there was something even more intense about this ask to Abraham. You see, Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was the child of Abraham's old age. Isaac never should have been. Isaac was the miracle given by God to a couple as good as dead. Sarah, whose womb was barren. And through Isaac, all the promises of God were meant to come. So all of Abraham's hope, his future, his salvation depended on this boy. God is asking for everything from Abraham. God is asking Abraham to trust him even if he leads him back into death itself. Jesus says something equally as dramatic in our gospel reading. In Luke 14, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There's a radical cost to following Jesus, and it's everything. God does not want part of you. He does not want you on Sundays. He does not want... Uh, your good Christian self. He does not want uh, just your, your you know, work life. He doesn't want just your relationships. He wants everything about you. He wants your whole sense of self, your personality, all your pursuits, all your desires, everything that you are yielded to him. That's why it's Isaac. Because there's no more dramatic example of how much God wants from you. He doesn't want you to withhold anything. There's nothing he doesn't want. He claims mine over every square inch of your life. That's how dramatic, that's how intense, how intimate a covenant God wants to have with you. And so we're scared. We're like me and Megan. That is a big ask. And I'm scared to give myself to God. I'm scared and I self-protect I withdraw. And so we need to keep reading. God has this incredible ask. In his infinite freedom, he asks that we withhold nothing. But there's more to it. Keep reading with me. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said to him, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. 
When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is what is dramatically unique about Yahweh, about our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every other God demands allegiance, absolutely. That's not unique. But this God provides what he demands. The main theme of our story is obvious when you read the whole thing. There's there's like a conclusion there with like a little postscript. So Abraham named the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it's said on the mount of the Lord, he will provide. There are three conversations in our story that structure the whole story, that tell you what it's about. And there's, they're all the same, except for one feature in the second conversation. In all three stories, it goes, Abraham, here I am, and a response. But the one different conversation is the middle conversation with Isaac, when Isaac has a question. And Abraham responds in the center of our story, drawing our attention, telling us exactly what the whole story is about. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham didn't know how that would take place. Abraham didn't know how God was going to provide, but he knew that God would provide. God in his infinite sovereign freedom demands all from us that we withhold nothing, but in his infinite generosity, he provides everything he requires of us. And we need this message desperately today. There is an epidemic of anxiety in our teenagers, but in our adulthood as well, all across the nation. An epidemic of of fearfulness about scarcity. Is there enough? There's not an adult in this room, I don't care how much money you make, who would not raise their hand if I said, who here worries about money sometimes? Everybody does. Ever since we were cast out of the garden, where there was perfect, endless abundance with the provider God himself, we were sent out into a world cursed that produces thorns and thistles. And we, by the sweat of our brow, earn a meager living. And we are always concerned, is there enough? Is there enough for me? And deeply concerned when God comes and says, give me everything. Will I have enough? If I give to him, will I be left empty? And so once again, we're like young Megan and Kyle. We're scared to give ourselves to him. What if I give myself away and there's no return? What if I give myself away and I'm left broken? I'm left shattered. And so we are called to this intense faith that God is provider. Notice in our story that in no sense do we ever see the interior life of Abraham. I can't imagine the horror 
the terror, the anguish he was experiencing on this three-day journey to sacrifice his son, the, the fear in his heart, the, the, the you know, leap in his stomach when Isaac asks him, Father, where is the offering? None of that is mentioned. None of that's in the text. All we see is Abraham saying, the Lord will provide. We're given a glimpse into his interior life in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, we read, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham had faith that God provides. And that is the faith that we need. And that is the clear allusion to the gospel of Jesus. Because in Jesus, God has given us everything he requires of us. You see it in this story, God asks for a sacrifice and then he provides the ram so that Isaac doesn't need to be sacrificed. And in Jesus, we have that substitute, the one who has given for us in our stead, the one who provides to God everything he asks of us. And this is why we often teach on the passive and the active obedience of Christ. Yes, as a sacrifice on the cross, Jesus absolutely provided passive obedience to God, suffering for sinners. But in his active obedience, Jesus provided a perfectly righteous life on our behalf so that when we put our faith in him and are united to him by the Holy Spirit, his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness is counted to us. Everything that God demands of us, he provides for us in his son, Jesus. Everything God requires of us, he gives to us in his son, Jesus. And so this morning, as you hear that God wants every last corner of your heart, he wants your entire life, and you feel this, this desire to withdraw, to self-protect, you're concerned that to give yourself away, and you think, maybe I can make it on my own, maybe I can provide for myself, I earnestly ask you to look to Jesus. God provides for you everything he asks in his son. This God is like no other God. He asks for everything, but he gives you everything. And there's one more piece. Turn back with me one more time to Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God has given this promise to Abraham before. This is not a new promise. We don't have time to go down the rabbit trail of James' interpretation of, of Abraham's offering of Isaac. We just need to remember that the Bible is not in contradiction with itself. James is not teaching something different than the Apostle Paul. So again, we don't have time to go there this morning. 
Here's what we know. God made this promise prior to Abraham's obedience. Now he's ratifying it again after Abraham's obedience, reassuring him of his complete faithfulness to him. And Paul later in Galatians 3.16 interprets the promise in, in light of Christ. In this promise, all nations of the world would be blessed through the offspring of Isaac. And Paul says, not offsprings, not the many children of Isaac, but one, Jesus Christ. In him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You see, in our story today, Abraham doesn't actually sacrifice Isaac. The son, his only son, whom he loves, is restored to him. And it is God who gives his son, his only son, his beloved son, for us. As Romans 8.32 teaches us, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God in his infinite sovereignty asks for everything from us, withhold nothing. But in his infinite generosity, he provides everything in his infinite love. He doesn't withhold himself, he gives himself to us. He gives us his son as a sacrifice in our place. Do you see how great God's love for you is? Do you see how intimately he wants to draw you into communion with himself? Do you see at what cost he would love you? He would commit himself to you? This illustration is woefully inadequate. But when I was a teenager, I was an unpaid intern at my church. And I remember my youth pastor, Dave, saying something that's just stuck with me. He said, Kyle, I'm never going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. And so if we're going to wash bathrooms, if we're going to make copies, if we're going to stack chairs, I'm going to do it with you. That just stuck with me that humility of leadership. And in Jesus, you see that humble condescension to infinity. The God of the universe humbled himself to the form of a servant unto the point of death. There's nothing God is withholding from you. His love is extravagant. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God this morning. I don't know if you're feeling fearful of what he's asking of you. If you're feeling anxious about how much he wants from you. If you're feeling dread at the thought of holding something open-handedly to God that you've been clinging to. But he wants all of you. He wants every last piece of your life. And he gives you everything. He gives you himself he provides for you everything you need in his son, Jesus Christ. And so I invite you today to come to the table of Jesus, to remember that God gives himself to you, even as he asks you to give yourself to him. Join him in the safety, the joy, the beauty, the comfort, the peace of this covenant relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you ask something tremendously difficult. You want everything. 
everything we could possibly put our hope in, everything we could possibly love before you. You want it all. But you are also infinitely kind, gracious, generous, loving, and you give us your son, Jesus. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, would you give us the faith to see that you are our provider? Would you give us the faith in the resurrection of Christ to believe that we have everything we need in you? Help us, Lord, to surrender all and to delight in you above everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray.